0: Uh, This morning we're going to consider a love that is seen in obedience, a love that is seen in obedience, John chapter 14 verses 15 through to verse 27. We're going to consider obedience to God's commandments by those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are indwelt. By the Holy Spirit. In other words, Christians. Let's have a look at John chapter 14 and verse 15, where the Lord Jesus Christ said, If ye love me, keep my commandments. People who love Jesus know him. It, it's obvious, that stands to reason, doesn't it? How can you love someone if you don't know them? So someone who loves Jesus, knows him, that person has a God-given faith in Jesus. Or looking at it negatively, sometimes it's helpful to look at things the other way, way round, the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Those who have no faith in the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in his self-sacrifice at the cross, they have no faith in those things they cannot be said to love Jesus. Makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, far from loving the Son of God, they hate him. It is the complete opposite. If you don't love Jesus, you're not neutral. You hate Jesus with every ounce, with every atom, with every fibre of your entire being. You may not feel like it. You may think, steady on, Glenn. But you don't realise it. The heart says, uh, sorry, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. You are deceived by your own heart. It's not just about other people being deceived by you and your heart. You are deceived by your own heart. So you hate Jesus if you do not love him. It's not for nothing that in John chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus said to his apostles, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. The world includes all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving grace. Moving on with verse 15, let's have a look at it again. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you are someone who, by the grace of God, does love the Lord Jesus Christ, having trusted in him as your saviour and as your Lord, then Jesus says that you will keep his commandments. It's very clear in that verse, isn't it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you're a Christian, your love for Jesus, it will be a practical love. It will be a love that is manifest... In your obedience to his commandments. But what is meant by the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a big question, isn't it? What are those commandments? You might immediately think of the Ten Commandments, and you know what? You wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't be wrong to think of the Ten Commandments. After all, contrary to the belief of some, and perhaps many Christians, Jesus is the God of the Old Testament and I like what A.W. Pink had to say about this. He said, The one who wrote upon the tables of stone is none other than the one who died on Calvary's cross. And he who here says, If you love me, keep my commandments, also said at Sinai that he would show mercy unto thousands of men, that love me and keep my commandments. Isn't that interesting? Apart from the Ten Commandments, there are two great commandments that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 39, where he said that the first and the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and that the second which is like unto it in other words it's just as important it's not some trivial thing the the second one which is like unto it is to love your neighbour as yourself those two great commandments can be seen as a summary of the ten commandments and it doesn't end there because as we've already seen some weeks ago in John chapter 13 verse 34 let's just turn back to that John 13 verse 34 Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another having a special practical love for for other Christians That. What that is all about. That is a commandment to Christians to love one another. And it's something that ought to be woven into the very fabric of all who belong to Jesus, all who love Him. Remember that the Christian is someone who loves Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you love the brethren. It's a commandment of the incarnate Son of God. As such, you show your love for Christ by your obedience to his commandments, which are all about love for God and for others. More broadly still, the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ are his words or his teaching. We can see that to be the case in verse 23, where it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Very similar to verse 15, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. Let's face it, it would wear a little bit thin if you claim to know Jesus and you claim to love Jesus as the one who came into this dark world of sin And he laid down his life for you at the cross. And you love Jesus so much for what he has done for you at the cross. Laying down his life sacrificially for you, a hell-deserving sinner. And yet for all that, you habitually disregard what Jesus has said or what Jesus has said through his apostles, or what Jesus has said through what is in the Bible, generally from the first page to the last page of the Bible, and you do that day in, day out, week in and week out. It wouldn't really make a lot of sense, would it? It needs to be pointed out and emphasised that Jesus did not lay down his life for people who keep the commandments. He laid down his life for sinners. When you think about what happened at the cross, how can we think about it? We weren't there, how can we even begin to imagine it? The incarnate Son of God being nailed to a cross. But even so, I think we can all reasonably appreciate that Jesus wasn't lifted up to die on a cross for good people. If you are a good person, then you don't need Jesus. Jesus came into the world for bad people, people like me and people like everyone who trusts in him and who loves him, genuinely loves Jesus. He died for bad people, sinful people, people who are hell-deserving sinners and it was an ugly, horrible death that he endured on the cross for such people. If you are a Christian, your acceptance before God most certainly is not because of any obedience on your part, but it has everything to do with the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and in his death. As for your love for Jesus, I've mentioned this a few times now, haven't I? That uh, you're someone who knows Jesus, you trust in him and you love him. The fact is that you love him because he loved you first. And he demonstrated that love for you at the cross. Long before you loved Jesus, God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to be like the elderly West Indian lady whose door I knocked on some years ago when it soon became apparent that in the conversation that she was a Christian, I said, so you love Jesus. Whereupon she immediately replied, oh yes, the Lord loves me. He was right, of course. And that's more important. It's a wonderful thing if you really do love Jesus. Praise God for that. But even more wonderful is that God loved you and sent his son into the world to die on that cross, bearing away your sins. Let's read verses 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, But ye know him, for he he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. In these verses, we again see both the Father and the Son, as we've seen many times in chapter fourteen. But additionally, we now see the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus would, whom Jesus promised would come and would abide in the apostles, and not just the apostles, but the Holy Spirit would come and abide in all who believe in Jesus and love him. The two go together, this believe and love. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter or the helper. Jesus had been with the apostles, sorry, he had been the apostles' comforter for the past three years. However, upon his ascension to the right hand of the throne of God, His father who sent him would send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he may abide with you forever. Although the apostles have long gone to be with with the Lord, the Holy Spirit who descended upon them on the day of Pentecost is nevertheless with the church forever. That is until the end of time. And there is no need for you, no need for any Christian to seek some kind of second baptism where they may be indwelt or filled with the Holy Spirit. That happened the moment you first believed. The moment you first believed you were indwelt by the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. In fact, he indwells and he comforts all who know and love Jesus, and He comforts you in the sense that He fortifies or strengthens you in your pilgrimage in this Christ-hating world. And He will help you, and He will enable you as you continue and as you have your daily battles with sin, with the the the, the lust, uh, the sin lusting against the spirit. Or the flesh lusting against the spirit rather and the spirit against the flesh these daily battles that we have when, you, when you're doing anything but uh, uh, keeping the commandments of God and you're thinking to yourself what a wretched person I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death but I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord And if I may add to that, my Lord who loved me and who gave himself for me. Also, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things according to verse 26 in the sense that he will guide you into all truth. You can see that in chapter 16 and verse 13. And this he will do not magically, It's not some kind of magic dust, uh, fairy dust that's sprinkled down. It's when you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything that you need to know. So that you will be thoroughly equipped as a Christian on this pilgrimage that God has put you on. Reading the scriptures and being guided by the Holy Spirit. Something else to think about before we move on to verse 18. When you think about what we've been considering in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that is a tall order, isn't it? Even if you're a Christian, you know as well as I do. You end up, more often than not, you do the things that you really should not be doing. And you don't do the things that you should be doing. If you're being honest with yourself, which I hope you are, as Christians. So, verse 15 was about keeping the commandments. It's about a practical love for others. But even as Christians, we need so much help for all of that to become a reality, or to begin to be a reality. In fact, keeping the commandments, even out of a genuine God-given love for Jesus is something that will only ever happen by the enabling grace of the indwelling Helper, the Holy Spirit, working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you don't flatter yourself here. When you do when you are walking with the Lord in the light of his words and you sing this that hymn, trust and obey, thank God that He has sent another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who indwells you, and who wills in you to uh, who works in you rather, to will and to do of his good pleasure for the glory of God. Something to pray for there, isn't it? I'm sure you know as well as I do that a love for someone does not automatically translate in obedience to them. It doesn't work that way. Just look at any child or a lot of children. They, even if they love their mother, their father, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to obey them because of sin. And I don't know about you, but I haven't reached that sinless perfection yet, and I know only too well that I don't always want to be obedient, because I want to do other things. So don't just kid yourself that because you love Jesus, which is by the grace of God, that you will be obedient to him. So we thank God that where it says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and then it goes on to say, and I will pray the Father. Thank God for that and, and what follows the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper, who will indwell all of those who belong to Jesus. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Having just said that he would ask his father and his father would give another Comforter, the Holy Spirit, Jesus now says in verse 18 that he will not leave his Apostles comfortless, and he will come to them. Not only that, but within verse 23 is a promise from Jesus that both he and his Father will make their abode in those who love him and keep his words. That means that all of you who belong to Jesus have the sure promises from him, the incarnate Son of God, that consequent to the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling you, you can legitimately lay claim to the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit being with you and in you to comfort you and to strengthen you. Hence, the very last words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel are, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, in the immediate context... Jesus was speaking to his apostles. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The apostles have long gone to be with the Lord. That is a promise for all who belong to Jesus. Lo, I am with you always, whether it's in here now, in your home, wherever you are. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians was as follows. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Listen to this now. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Isn't that lovely, eh? By faith, having Christ dwelling in your hearts, enthroned in your hearts. Last of all, let's look at verse 27. I'm, I'm missing a few verses here, but I want to look at verse 27 with you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In this verse, Jesus promises to those, promises those who love him, a peace that is altogether different from any peace or so-called peace that comes from this world. This is a peace from Jesus, the Son of God. It has to be different, doesn't it? When you think of worldly peace, in 1938, the British Prime Minister at the time, Neville Chamberlain, said, Peace in our time. In a speech concerning an Anglo-German agreement, yet less than a year later, war was declared against Germany. So much for peace in our time. The fact of the matter is that literally hundreds of peace treaties have been written, have been signed within the last two centuries and none of them have been worth the paper they've been written on. The reasons for that is very simple. People are by nature sinners. We are to keep the commandments of Jesus but we don't. We are to love God with our whole being, but we don't. We are to love our neighbour as ourselves, but we don't. Sad to say that doing harm comes much more naturally to people than living in peace. In the prophet Jeremiah's time, about 600 BC, the Jews sacrificed their children to false gods. People were saying, peace, peace then, when there was no peace. They were sacrificing their children to Molech, the false god. But I very much doubt that the number of children slaughtered back then was anything like the number of children, pre-born children, unborn children, who are being put to death right now, worldwide. Some statistics put the number of children being, being put to death before they've even had a chance to be born, worldwide, in any, in any year, recent year, at between 40 and 50 million. 40 and 50 million babies being slaughtered each year worldwide. What that tells me really are two things. First of all, they haven't got a clue about the real figure because there's a massive difference between 40 million and 50 million. So they don't, no one knows how many children are being slaughtered each year. But what it also tells me is whatever it is, it's a lot of children. It's huge. Obviously one child being aborted is one too many, but this is a lot of children and by the way as I'm saying that does anyone know what's going to happen on May the 24th it's not far from now May the 24th we're coming to the end of February now May the 24th is the start date for abortion on demand in the Isle of Man when you look at our nation neighborhoods are blighted by drugs and crime And behind closed doors in homes, there is anything but peace with arguments, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, neglect, and so on. For all that, those who love Jesus by the grace of God, and who have a peace that comes from him, the peace that he gives, they are blessed, aren't they? And Jesus gives that peace. As such, although it is priceless, it is free. It says it in that verse, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. It costs nothing to receive the peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does that peace come from the incarnate Son of God, it is of God in the sense that the Son of God made that peace through the death of his cross, through the blood of his cross. He didn't just find that peace somewhere and give it to you. He made that peace at the cross when he shed his blood. And it is a peace with God. Now this is wonderful, isn't it? Having peace with God. Even if there's no peace around you, to have peace with God. All who love Jesus have been reconciled to God, they have peace with God. As it is written in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, have you received a peace that is real, that reaches up to heaven, and that will endure forevermore? having believed that the Lord Jesus Christ has placated the wrath of God by taking upon himself your sins at Calvary's cross. Amen.